So in our intro episode, when we're checking in with each other, we're going to be talking about some things um, that may make you all uncomfortable. So trigger warning if you are nervous when listening to discussions of vomiting and needles or IVs. Um, if you want to skip all of that and just get straight to the episode, you can jump ahead to about 10 minutes. I'm Dana here with my co-host Caroline. Say hi, Caroline. Hello. Today we're talking about antimicrobial, antibacterial, antiseptic soap. Um, but I'm going to put the hook for the episode right here, and it's it's a quote from the FDA. Quote: There is no data demonstrating that antibacterial soaps are better at preventing illness than washing with plain soap and water. That was the hook. Why are we still using antibacterial soap? Why is it still a thing? How does soap even work? How is it different from hand sanitizer? Where do these antibacterial chemicals even appear? Where do they come from? All this and more. But first, Caroline, how are you doing? I'm sick. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, dark. Yes, not doing very well. Is but... it COVID sick? No, it's not. It's a uh, it's hurting stomach throwing up sick. Um, oh no! So, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not great, but I uh, haven't vomited since yesterday. Um, was it just and... the one, the one at work? <laughs> no, no, it was twice as at work, and then twice I came home. Twice at work. Yes, yes, it was not over. I had a granola bar. My stomach did not like this, and then I. Yeah. Oh no! It's so awkward, man. How did you also... not go home immediately? Well, actually, because I felt sick and I had to drive. And I didn't want oh. to, first I didn't want to puke in my car, but also I didn't want to like be has, hazardous while driving because <laughs> like swerving and spewing. Yeah, like, <laughs> so, we so don't yeah, that. I just, yeah, no, so I just waited for a little bit. I thought it was over first, after the first time. It was not. But then I got home, everything was okay. And then I talked to the a nurse. I had a doctor's appointment and stuff uh, later. And then, um, and she was like, uh, remember to drink plenty of fluids, uh, which, I mean, I know, I'm a pharmacist, man. I know about, like, being sick and doing this much stuff. Electrolytes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I tried to drink something. I should not have done that. <laughs> Came up again <laughs> and again. So yeah. four times yesterday. But I, I, got, I felt way better after having puked. And uh, then... In the evening, I ate an entire pizza. So, that's awesome. That's yeah. good. Replenish. And I'm feeling better today. So I, uh, I'm a little bit afraid of going back to work now, because, you know, uh, maybe it's like a happened. trigger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I can't be here. <laughs> yeah, I'll stop now. <laughs> so, how are you, my- Dana? <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting my wisdom teeth out finally on Thursday. And I am so, so anxious about it. I am seriously struggling over it. Like, I had a nightmare yeah. about it. And and it was the weirdest dream where, like, it was like, you know how dreams are where it's like, you don't actually experience the procedure. You just experience, like, that limbo yeah, like, like, my dad was there. I didn't see him, but I knew he was there. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the waiting room for hours, man, hours. And so the bulk of the dream was, like, the woman 
trying to put the IV in because they have to knock me out completely. And so it was her trying to put the IV in and not succeeding. And so it didn't hurt. It didn't like cause any damage. It was just like she would put the IV in and, um, and then it would fall out or like I hadn't changed yet. So she had to take the IV out and then put it back in after I changed. So it was like, if you're scared of IVs, like, yeah, that was Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty nightmarish. But then finally, after like a long time of all of this, she's finally like, yep, you're good. Let's turn on the anesthesia. And I remember my last thought was like, shouldn't, shouldn't there be like at least two doctors, like one who's doing the surgery and one who's doing the anesthesia. (laughs) And that last thought, and then all of a sudden, like my dream went black and my body felt really heavy. And then I woke up in my bed and I was like, (laughs) and so now I'm like, yeah, so now I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go into it and it's going to feel like that. But last night I couldn't sleep because I was very anxious and my heart was beating really fast. So we're almost there. I've never been like fully knocked out for a procedure before. I've always been awake. Um, just like locally numbed, but it's pretty serious. Like I have really intense teeth. (laughs) So, um, either they just decided they were going to knock me out for all of it. Um, but I'm also concerned that because I have very intense teeth and and dentists compliment me on my large roots, which is a weird (laughs) compliment to get for middle-aged men, but, uh... Sure. Um, I I worry, and they're all impacted and surrounded by nerves and below the gum line, and so I'm really, really scared that my jaw is going to fracture during the procedure. Yeah. Um, that's my biggest fear. I'm pretty yeah. sure they're going to have to shatter the teeth and like take them out piece by piece. Mm. So I won't even get to keep them. Yeah. But I yeah. Yeah I. I don't want to. Like, I don't want to, like, say that I'm sure it's going to be fine because <laughs> I, know, I don't know. Thing. I'm like, I don't want to say that. Yeah, but, um, but when I, I had a, a wisdom tooth removed mm-hmm. and it was, like, the easiest thing I've ever done at the doctor. That's awesome. Um, so, I mean, it can be fine. But then on the other side, my partner, it did not go that well. So, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I've heard people say the best thing that someone has ever told me they were like oh that's happened to me it wasn't my best time but it also wasn't mm. my worst and I'm like yeah that's awesome that's like the most encouraging yeah. thing I've ever heard like great <laughs> I know it's gonna be bad that's it's what? just not gonna be the worst <laughs> it's so weird what can be comforting sometimes yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah I'm so I'm super super afraid of needles mm. which is ironic because I have diabetes that is but um uh, um but I always, before I have my blood drawn, I always tell the nurse that, okay, so you cannot, you have to do this in the first, like, You have to do this on the first try. Yes, exactly. And you have to do it fast. And if you are not the best here, I want the very best nurse. <laughs> and they're like, and I also need to lie down because sometimes I pass out. Pass out. So, uh, and, and they're always very respectful of that. Like, That's good. Fair. I'm going to get Karen. I'm going she's to get 70 Karen. and she's done I... this for 50 years or something like that. Yeah. Um, my partner, if you all remember, he broke his leg and he had to get surgery for that. And so it was the day of his surgery. He had to get the IV put in. And the first nurse went ahead and put it in and he started like sweating bullets. And he's not nervous around needles. He's totally fine around needles. 
but just started sweating profusely. And all the nurses were like, oh, look at you. You're all anxious about the IV. They were like making fun of him and stuff. And he was just like, wow, that's kind of annoying. Like I am definitely not okay. And then like 10 minutes later, he looks at his hand and his hand is purple. And he's like, is this normal? And they were just like, uh, no. No, it's not. Uh, Becca, do you want to take your lunch break now? And Becca, who put the IV in, was just like, yeah, I'm going to go. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's like, that's kind of disrespectful in a way. A little disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little rude. Yeah. I thought so, too. And, yeah. and that's like not the experience you want to have right before you're about to go into surgery. You're like, is this, is, is this the, now, the professionalism? Are you capable? Yeah. <laughs> is Becca going to be in there or... Yeah. Okay. When, when, okay. Sorry, go ahead. Go last ahead. thing, last thing. Okay. When I was around eight, I was uh, admitted to the hospital and I had an IV. And uh, I was in there for quite some time and I made a friend who also had an IV. And she told me that when she had her IV removed, she was um, unconscious. So somehow in my eight-year-old brain, I was like, oh my God, this getting it removed will hurt so much that like being, um, you know, uh, under... Uh, Anesthesia. Like, anesthesia is like a good thing to do so i was terrified when i had to get it out and it just tickled it was like it tickled so much and that was it and it was over so fast i was just like dudes (laughs) could someone tell me i probably wouldn't have believed them anyway okay and thus commences our discussion of antimicrobials and soap (laughs) best intro Best intro ever. This is when we get, like, normally those weeks when we're like, I'm fine, how are you? Oh, I'm also fine. Those are boring. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm not fine. We need to talk about medical procedures. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, so this is going to start with a story. This is the story of how the FDA, for those of you who are not from the United States, the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration. They basically manage and make rules about what substances and how much of them we can be exposed to in our food, our cosmetics, and our drugs. So, yeah, that's all mixed together over here. Yeah, Yeah, right? That's all one thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's good. In in, in Europe, you have the EMA, the European Medicine Agency, that just does medicine, and then we have other stuff. Welcome back to another installment of the Danish girl being very skeptical of how the United States deals with health. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. You have every right to be skeptical. It's just that I, as an American, I don't look at these things and think, maybe that's, that could be done better. Like, I'm just like, that's just what the FDA, that's what it is. So I can't. <laughs> well, actually, I've, I've, like, I think we talked a lot about in back home. Um, about the FDA is that it's supposed it's supposed to be very a lot more strict than the EMA is. Mm. So I mean it's not like you guys are slagging just because you uh, you mix food and drugs. But uh, yeah, but the other thing is that I feel like not all of them, but from my research in this in this field with the antimicrobial soap, there were more industries like more companies in Europe mm. that took the first step and were like, okay, the data says this isn't safe, we're gonna take it out. Whereas I feel like in the United States, you need to ban, so, like make something illegal before people even start thinking about taking it off the shelf. All this and more in this episode yes. of Antimicrobial <laughs> Soap. <laughs> okay, so, so the FDA, in October of 2005, they have a committee called the Non-Prescription Drug Advisory Committee. 
And, you know, as the name implies, they deal with drugs that are not prescription and, and how those appear in substances, how those appear in cosmetics, and how people, like, consumers are making decisions about those. And they convened to discuss specifically antibacterial soap, among a couple of other things, but mostly the soap. And they were concerned about a chemical. It has two forms. It's triclosan in liquid soap and triclocarbon in bar soap or like solid form. It's the same chemical though. It works the same way. And this was the active ingredient in any soap that was marketed as antibacterial. They have been shown, triclosan and triclocarbon have been shown to kill bacteria and fungi, but they have also been shown to contribute to bacterial resistance and hormonal defects in humans. So it's a little bit concerning that that was appearing in like a household item, right? Something that people could just buy and use as much of it as they wanted. It was not regulated at all. <clears throat> so let's talk about bacterial resistance because it isn't exactly resistance to triclosan. And that's kind of like the difficulty of this discussion is like, no, triclosan is not actually used as an antibiotic. You would never give someone triclosan if they had an infection. Triclosan kills bacteria if they're exposed to it for nine hours. It takes nine hours to kill bacteria with triclosan. <laughs> Caroline and I are both on a Google Doc right now with the notes, and when I repeated nine hours, she highlighted it. It was really good. <laughs> so if you're doing <laughs> if you're doing everything right, you should be washing your hands for 20 seconds. That's like singing this happy birthday song twice, right? So at low concentrations, triclosan stops bacteria from growing, right? But then the moment triclosan goes away, the bacteria start growing again. And then at high concentrations, it can actually just kill them outright. Um, and then may, it may also non-specifically kill fungi and viruses just by like to toxicity levels. It throws off pH balances, like non-specific things, right? But in bacteria, we're pretty confident. We're like 98% confident that the mechanism of action is actually attacking a protein that's necessary for breaking down food and turning that into energy, right? A metabolic protein in the bacteria. Caroline, pharmacist, do you know of any antibiotics that attack a metabolic protein? Uh. Maybe you don't know off the top of your head, but the answer is it does exist. Um, yeah. <laughs> isoniazids. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> antibiotics called isoniazids target the same protein. So what happens is triclosan delivers stress to bacteria on the specific protein. And what we know about antibiotics like attacking very specific components of cells, it's really, really easy for the cell to modify just a little bit to find a way around that, that chemical attacker, right? Like maybe it adjusts the binding site so that that chemical can't bind anymore. Well, that means that if the bacteria no longer responds to triclosan, it also no longer responds to the antibiotic. So step one, we lose one antibiotic. Like one antibiotic is out of the equation now. We can't use that to treat those bacteria anymore. The second piece of it is when you deliver stress that affects how a bacteria can get energy and get food, it's gonna go into a stress response state. 
And that means that whenever it's stressed, it's going to get more aggressive. So it's going to start expressing other resistance genes that were dormant or start expressing greater virulence. So it attacks the host more. And so these are all consequences of dealing with triclosan. So triclosan, this is my analogy today. I always come in with analogies. Here's the analogy today. If you wear a pair of moderately uncomfortable shoes, you might get a blister. Your foot's not going to fall off. You might, you're gonna struggle a little bit. But what happens is that blister when it heals is gonna be calloused, it's gonna be a little thicker. So you could go ahead and wear a very uncomfortable pair of shoes, different pair of shoes, and you're not going to be as injured as you would be if you hadn't worn the moderately uncomfortable pair of shoes. So what we're doing is triclosan is like really, really small doses. It's like a hint, like a little flavor of something that could be dangerous. And so the bacteria prepare for it a little bit better. And ultimately, that's why we don't want antibacterial soaps. So triclosan is not exactly the culprit here. It's more like a partner in crime, right? It's like it's it's like peer pressuring bacteria into running away from home and becoming superbugs. <laughs> so the FDA committee basically said that they went to the soap companies and they were like, hey, we're a little bit concerned. <laughs> about the fact that your active ingredient is contributing to a global crisis in the home. Not only that, but the bacteria that you're you, that you're washing off with antibacterial soap are already bacteria that live very well in and on the human body. So if you're giving them like the extra strength of being also being resistant to existing treatments, that's how we get a bacteria that's particularly dangerous for human hosts. So the FDA said that we're a little bit uncomfortable. Why do you even have it in there? Like, is it really that much better that we have triclosan in soap? So this is the part where we take a short detour and we talk about how soap actually works. Um, the thing is that plain soap is enough, right? Because soap has, it's the way that it operates. Organic matter, right? Like, let's talk about oil. Oil is organic. <laughs> Have you ever, Caroline, have you ever tried to rinse off an oily pan? Oh, have I? Does it work? <laughs> um, not without soap. Not well, without soap, yeah. Well, it, it kind of, if you heat it up enough and you rinse it enough, it would also work. But yeah, the thing is that it's not going to be as really go together. Yeah, it's not going to be as good. Um, so oil, oily things and, and organic things like to attract other oily and organic things. So generally the water pushes it around. It doesn't, it, they actually repel. So the water like touches it, moves it, and then goes away. It's very difficult to actually like pick up oil with water alone. So if you add more oil, it ends up like clumping, right? Like the oil sticks together and it gets dirtier and harder to get off. So what happens then is that soaps and detergents are half organic and half water, water-like, right? So that they, the half that attracts oil can pick up things like oil, bacteria, dead skin cells, anything organic, and then the water can attach to the other side. And so it creates this little chain of like water to soap to oil or bacteria or microbes or whatever it is, and then the water can actually wash it away. So you no, you do not need you do not need any sort of antibiotics. You're not killing bacteria on your hand. You're just rinsing them down the drain. Exactly. There's and actually there isn't really that much reason to kill the bacteria. You just need to remove. Yeah. Them. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what soap does. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
it can also kill them because you know their uh, their cell wall is made out of fat and if mm-hmm. you like destroy that then they die anyways <laughs> so yeah so um the fda made a case they were like listen if triclosan really does make a difference and it outweighs the risks by all means we'll keep it in there it's important to like keep people healthy and keep people safe but what if it's not really doing anything like what if you know because we're only washing our hands for 20 seconds it's not enough time to kill the bacteria is it really making a difference so what they said was fine you have three years to gather data and make your case is it worth keeping triclosan in soap is it more effective and then while we're at it that is also like the crazy part right they have to prove that it works in order for like them to keep it on there but not to like get it out there in the first place i mean you know yeah shouldn't they have proved that it worked before they well um, so what they used what they used to quote-unquote prove that it worked was just data showing that triclosan is a chemical that kills bacteria. That was all they really needed at that point. They didn't really, and basically they said like at the concentrations that we're using it, it's not posing a danger to human health because it's not being ingested, right? They hadn't even thought about about the antibiotic resistance component. They hadn't thought about accum- about it accumulating in the body. They thought about single dose and that was it. And they were like, single dose safe. And of course they want to make that case, right? Because if you can't, if you have a reason to write antibacterial across your label, people are more likely to buy it. So they were like, you have three years. While you're at it, you should also look at these, you know, th- okay, so I say, we say triclosan. There were actually 17 chemicals in addition to triclosan that were all worked in a similar way and all contributed to antibiotic resistance but for the sake of simplicity we're just gonna say triclosan also triclosan i think is the only one that is still in use today uh not in soaps we'll get to that it's kind of scary um so they were like look at these other three uh antibacterials and those are benzylconium chloride benzethonium chloride and um chlorozylenol Um, and then so great, like there were a bunch of studies. It wasn't just the soap companies, right? A lot of people contributed to this because if you make the soap companies do it themselves, these are going to start releasing studies that support their formula at any cost. Like this ridiculous study that claimed triclosan works, but in the fine print, if your soap formula has 10 times more triclosan than you were actually putting into the soap that's like on the shelf in the grocery store, and if you wash your hands at least 18 times a day for at least 30 seconds for at least five days, all of these conditions are ridiculous, right? That we would not expect anybody to be washing their hands this much. It's not realistic. That's not how the consumer is gonna use this. So no, overall, hundreds of studies came out from all over the world, from all over different condi- like clinical, laboratory, even like scientists in people's houses, like observing how people use soap and seeing if that made a difference. like. All of them basically said triclosan does not make a difference compared to plain old regular soap and water. On top of that, hundreds of studies also show that triclosan is very obviously the culprit in antibiotic resistance development, and it cannot be purified out of our water systems. Like the, the molecule is so small that the way that we purify things, like through through membranes, it's not. It's, it's not small enough to filter out triclosan. So triclosan stays in our water system, 
we continue like consuming it when we have a glass of water like it, it stays in the environment it's in and that also means that it's affecting the environment it's a it has like it causes ecological damage it remains in sediment for 30 years during which time it's absorbed by algae and then it stays there and it travels up the food chain like guys we found this in dolphins dolphins have no business consuming triclosan why do they have triclosan in their system right it's not okay and on top of that it's absorbed more effectively at higher temperature guys global warming is making this worse it's so bad it's so bad it's been found in breast milk, in blood, in urine. It's been shown to increase the likelihood of the development of food allergies and seasonal allergies. It, it's pretty bad. It's, it's pretty bad. So the FB, FDA, not the FBA, what is the FBA? Um, so the FDA made a rule in 2013 that soap and cosmetics companies must give data that proves that the added ingredient actually benefits whatever its active purpose is. So exactly what you pointed out, Caroline, like now they have to prove rather than just throw it in and see what happens. So that's good news. And then the FDA officially banned triclosan in soap in 2016. And they didn't even just like, they weren't like throw it all away. We don't want to touch it anymore. They were like, you have one year to change your formula which means they have another year to keep producing everything the way that they've been producing it. And then stores that have backup stock sell all of that before they order new formula. So this was way more than a year. All of this to say that like actually banning things takes a long time. So the fact that something is not banned does not mean it is safe, which is why it's so important that you all don't use antibacterial soaps because of those other three chemicals that I mentioned, right? The, the, the ben, benzothonium chloride, th those things, right? Those are still in soap because there wasn't enough data. They were like, hey, we want data to make sure that these other three chemicals are not doing the same thing that triclosan is doing. And the soap companies were just like, no, we're not gonna submit that yet. And so the FDA, instead of being like, you must get this before you can continue selling it, instead they were just like, all right, we'll just leave it in. We'll, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. So don't use antibacterial soap because we don't know if those three are contributing in the same way that triclosan is. So more research is needed, yes, but in the meantime, you don't get just to do like what has been normalized already. So then the other thing, it's banned in soap. Mm. Triclosan is still in a lot of things, guys. What would you put it in? Do you want to guess? I mean, like... <laughs> Without looking at the script? <laughs> <laughs> I am looking at the okay. script. It's too late. But like I was thinking maybe... Lotion. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. But I guess like since it is like active ingredient, it would have to like have a purpose for being in lotion. So it would have to be like antibacterial mm, yeah. lotion. <laughs> yeah. So it's in deodorant, which is pretty close. Uh, yeah. it's in toothpaste and mouthwash, uh, it's in cleaning products, it's in pesticides, and it accumulates in plastic. So we use water to, like, make plastic and refine plastic, right? If it's in water, and we're using water to make plastic, the triclosan actually ends up getting bound up in the plastic. So we actually found triclosan, like, not even just traces, like, a considerable amount of triclosan in, like, toys. I actually have a full list here. Do you have any, like... Take a guess at what would happen to have triclosan in it. 
that's like not of, a like, health of, thing. Of plastic stuff? Anything. Or just you would not believe what the stuff is in. I don't know. Kids stuff. Yeah, it's in kids stuff. <laughs> um, our producer just held up his cell phone. Like, yeah, it's probably in there too. It's in paint. It's in humidifiers. It's in earplugs, hockey helmets, uh, socks, underwear. Um, oh, oh, like office and school product. This is so weird. It's in like kids scissors. It's in Ticonderoga pencils. But is that because it was in the water and, and it's two things? So in then... some cases, okay. it was in the water that they used to refine the plastic, and so the triclosan remained, and it was like accidental. And then in some cases, Ticonderoga pencils made a antimicrobial pencil. Why the fuck do you need an antimicrobial <laughs> pencil? <laughs> You're already you washing your hands. <laughs> this is so unnecessary. The thing is, there's a lot of these things that I just don't understand and i have come to this sad place where i just kind of accept it yeah it's like yeah this is a weird country the <laughs> underwear one is weird the underwear it was it's called bio fresh it's antimicrobial under you guys just change your underwear just change heads. what <laughs> just have a shower please just wash it <laughs> So yeah, I'm looking at this list. And the thing, the thing I'm so confused is about the FDA and stuff like this happening is that like when I think of the FDA and like good stuff that FDA have do done compared to stuff in Europe, I think about the thalidomide, thalidomide uh, scandal. I don't know how it's pronounced in, in English. What was it? What like happened? A, um, it's like a terrible, terrible story. I don't know if you we talked a lot about this in. Uh, in, uh, in in pharmacy mm -hmm. school uh, back home because it was such a uh, catastrophe it was a um, it was a um, medication that worked for um, um, morning sickness oh i do know um, this like and it was like yeah. okay so like chemistry chemistry moment yeah. molecules mm. will sometimes be mirror images of each other mm, and they look yeah. super similar and behave super differently so like it's really hard to separate them but then when you're synthesizing yeah. it it's hard to like specify which mirror image mm. you get you usually get a blend and if you can't yeah. separate them sometimes one of them is really dangerous and one of them is actually what you're looking for and that's what happened yeah and that was what happened yes. here <laughs> one of it was fine and the other one was not fine but there was like a 50 50 yeah. um yeah um, part of them in the product and the thing was that uh, it didn't hurt the person taking it but it did hurt um, the development of a fetus. <gasps> and it was it a morning sickness drug. Oh, no. Exactly. Oh, no. But the thing is that uh, it um, in America, there was one person working for the FDA who was like, but these studies about the safety of this has not done anything about like the safety for children and like pregnant women and stuff. So no, we will not uh, recommend this here. We will not allow this to happen here. Uh, but some uh, um, some doctors in America knew about this product, so they imported it from Europe and to, to give to their pregnant wives. So the, the what happened was that the the babies from the mothers who took this drug were born with them. Um, with like very um, deformed limbs, um, um, so um, uh, yeah, they were still alive, but they were very had like deformed limbs oh, and stuff. So but it generally didn't happen in America, only to some a certain amount of uh, people who were doctors' wives who, and obviously they just wanted the best for their right. 
for their partners, but it didn't end up that way. Anyways, so I mean, like, good for America, because of, there was this one doctor who was like, hey, these research is not well enough done, mm -hmm. so this we will not allow this in our country. And that's just like, yeah, way to go, America. And then, like, stuff like this happens. I know. Or, like, it's allowed Which, like, I don't think anyone uh, is going to get it 100% right and mistakes will be made. But if it's this explicit, why, why, give, why give soap companies time? Why not ban something, you know, that is implicated in this, like, right away? Why be like, you have one year? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I, at that point, I wonder if they're really serving the consumer or if they're actually serving soap companies and making sure that, like, they're oh, continuing yeah. to make money. Yeah. So yeah. I have one last question, and you can help me answer it, Caroline. What about hand sanitizer? Why is that one not, or are we not scared of, like, hand sanitizer-resistant bacteria? Well, actually, we should be. I mean, actually, of. if you listen uh, to the show, some... yes, we should be. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Just enough. Um, uh, it has been, uh, resistance to hand sanitizer has been, um, has been um, seen in some bacteria. Uh, but it it's not as um, what do you call it as prevalent as uh, resistance to antibiotics um, and also I think there's also something about the amount you use yeah you need at least sixty percent yeah I was more thinking about like it kills bacteria very fast uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah. But this one actually kills them, right? And so we were talking about how yeah. you don't want to be killing bacteria on you. You just want to move it out of the way so that you can eat. And then you want bacteria on you so that you're not getting sick. So that it's not like a pathogenic yeah. bacteria that's taking over in its place. So hand sanitizer is a good backup if you don't have soap and water. It's better to remove the bacteria mm -hmm. rather than kill them. Um, but as you mentioned, Caroline, yeah, like alcohol attacks... The bacteria like holistically it's like the whole bacteria is getting hit rather than one very specific component one very specific moving yeah. piece and that makes it a lot more difficult for bacteria to find a way around the chemical so it's less likely for it to develop in the first place but then we've mm. also spoken about like sporulating bacteria and how they're basically like the bait yeah. like they will be here after the nuclear apocalypse like <laughs> So, so the thing is, like, you're not going to kill everything with hand sanitizer. Um, and then the other piece of it is that since you're not attacking a specific component of the bacteria the way triclosan does, we're not impeding the effectiveness of antibiotics that attack the same thing. So overall, hand sanitizer... Stupid notifications that I can't turn off while we're recording. I always try to. So basically, if... If a bacteria is resistant to alcohol, is resistant to hand sanitizer, the antibiotic will still work. And that's like the good mm. news out of all of this is that we're not impeding human, our ability to treat diseases by using hand sanitizer, which is a key piece of the whole thing. Well, so, I mean, could we just like inject people with hand sanitizer? No, 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 no. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to the president's level. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. I just get it. <laughs> Did you I, actually, I don't I think, I don't think I told you about this, Caroline, but when um, coronavirus started coming up, mm. uh, right before this fall semester, anyone who was going to be on campus had to do an online training. <laughs> I had to do an online training about, about uh, 
COVID-19 and how to protect themselves. And it said, like, make sure you wash your hands um, so that you are, you know, germ-free and you're not spreading disease. So it was like, wash your hands. If that's not an option, use hand sanitizer. Very prudent. And it was great. And they were like, not antibacterial, just use plain soap and water. I'm like, yeah, you go, guys. That's awesome. But then they had to add another little, another little couple sentences being like, drinking alcohol is not going to make your body any more sterile. Please do not drink alcohol as an attempt to stay healthy. They actually had to write that. <laughs> it, like, it reminds me of this, I don't know if I told you about this, that, like, when we had um, class, back in pharmacy school, about, um, um, uh, it was basically about how to make drugs uh, for yeah, diseases and stuff, and, like, how to formulate them. And um, and then we talked about um, that we always had to keep in mind that like, just assume that people are as stupid as possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just like, yep. yeah. <laughs> we had some, because, you know, um, with insulin, uh, if you uh, keep it too cold and it freezes it, it destroys the insulin, uh, mm-hmm. the, the proteins that makes up insulin. And also if you keep it too warm, it does. And so, so, but apparently someone had them, um, had accidentally frozen their insulin and then they were like, oh no, it's frozen. I can't inject it. What do I do? Let me microwave wave it. <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> so you actually have to write, do not microwave. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's a thing. I like it's happened, but it's just like, yeah, people, people come, come to conclusions without yeah. like thinking too much about it always yeah. so yeah oh well but yeah <laughs> don't don't microwave your medication. don't microwave insulin no remove no. your child from the stroller before closing it <laughs> don't microwave which is actually kitty. something they say <laughs> yeah oh well we have one moral on this episode we're just gonna keep it simple i also don't use half a confession at the end oh wait i've heard this confession before y'all it's mm. good um, don't use antibacterial soap. Wash your hands often, but don't use antibacterial soap. It's not going to be any better than regular soap. There's very few rare cases where there's specific formulas that are used in hospital rooms to clean areas prior to surgery. That's it. That's that's where antibacterial soap should stay. It should not be on consumer shelves, but while it still is, please avoid it. And that's it. That's the moral. What's your confession, Caroline? So... I work with antibiotics and I uh, were very uh, first time Dana told me about antimicrobial soap. I was very confused because we don't have that in Europe. And so it's like, why, why would, why, why is this, why would, why would you do this? And then I came here to lovely Colorado and um, I, um, a month ago or something, I needed new hand soap and I accidentally bought antimicrobial soap. And I see myself as being kind of knowledgeable within this field. <laughs> and I still made this mistake. I do not, I just, I just, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't check it before I bought it because I didn't think about it. And now I have because to they don't sell it where you're from. Exactly. And it was just like spring water or something. I'm like, that sounds like a nice scent of hand soap so i just <laughs> bought it and now i have two hands of with anti like antimicrobial hand soaps and i'm so ashamed 
and it's so stupid. But like this, I, I, I would like to think that this shows that it can happen to everyone. Yes. So be aware and be aware. Please, please don't Check make my mistake. <laughs> so ashamed. All right. Yeah. I think it's time to close our, close us out. Yes, it is. All right. We put out podcasts every week to teach you all about the societal implications of microbiology and health. Keep up with us wherever you get your podcasts. We also meet every Tuesday at 2.30 Mountain Daylight Time to do this, except no filter. You're welcome to join us. If you are interested in getting the link to that Zoom meeting, you can email us at armor at colorado.edu, or you can DM us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at cu underscore armor. If your community has unique needs, we encourage you to start your own chapter of armor. To learn more, visit our website at arclabs.org forward slash armor. And that's it, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye, Caroline. <laughs>